they need to be the ones that need to ask themselves, are they really American by the way they're looking at me and talking to me? I don't, have, I don't owe them any explanation as to why I'm an American. I'm an American through and through. I'm a Muslim first. I'm an Arab by ethnicity. And I'm an American by my national affiliation and, and my national loyalty. So let's talk about Muslims and the Islamic religion in America. Sometimes mentioning the word Islam brings fear up in evangelical Christians. It brings pictures of buildings falling in New York and Sharia law being instilled somewhere in our country and maybe people dressed differently than, than we dress or people that want to convert us or kill us. What do we think of Islamic people? Are they our neighbors? Can they be our friends? Even if they won't convert to Christianity, can they be our neighbors? Can they be Americans? It, it almost seems like a silly question to ask, but when leaders like Franklin Graham start to talk about how evil a people group is or a, a president starts to separate people groups by calling out their countries or saying representatives who follow that religion should be maybe sent out of the country even when they were born in America. Or, as I've seen friends do on Facebook, say Islamic people should not be allowed to hold office in our country. I think that is antithetical to who our country is. And frankly, I think it's antithetical to who Jesus is. Would Jesus have been friends with a Muslim were he on earth today? I think he would be. One of the things I found when I met my guest today was that I didn't know many Islamic followers. I knew very few Muslims, and I had spent very little time with those that I did know, and I'd spent even less time trying to understand who they are and who their religion is. One of the things I like to do on the NPE podcast is bring proximity to people that we may not know if we're stuck in our evangelical bubble. So I'm going to venture out into something that some people would say is wrong. I'm going to offer a hand of friendship, an invitation and inclusion to a Muslim. I want you to meet a friend of a friend of mine who's now become my friend and his name's Imad Mirza and he's a great American who follows the Islamic religion. Listen in. It's a great conversation. Glad you're with us. Don't forget to sign up for my insiders list on the website at nppodcast.com. Join our Patreon community if you want to financially help us out and get access to my audiobook series for my book, Joseph Comes to Town. And with all of that out of the way, let's talk to Imad, a Muslim on the nonpartisan evangelical at nppodcast.com. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. What knucklehead, mush-for-brains evangelical leaders are trying to, uh, to overthrow Trump. It's a special kind of dumb. And calling yourself a Christian. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible 
so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. All right, welcome to the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. Paul Swearing in the Nonpartisan Evangelical with you today. Glad you're with us. Hope you're staying cool in very hot Central California if you're around here. Although I hardly know, notice that it's hot anymore because I'm in the house all day long. I don't, I don't go to baseball games or any of that stuff anymore, so it's hard to tell how hot it is outside. But hope you're staying cool and staying safe out there. And we've got a, a great guest to talk to today. And I think, it, I think it's going to be a guest that may be interesting, maybe even difficult for some of our, our, our listeners. His, his name is Imad Mirza. And he is a Muslim friend of mine. Recently, we got acquainted through a mutual friend, Bob Prater, who's been on this podcast with us a few times. Imad and Bob do a podcast together called A Christian and a Muslim Walk Into a Studio. He is a former emir and imam of Kern County from Bakersfield and uh, is is uh, an American who was born in Kuwait, but has lived in Kern County much of his life. So, Imad, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Paul, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this opportunity to talk to you and to, to talk to your audience, or at least to, to have them hear what we have to say. Did I get all that intro right there? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's totally fine. I, I, I'm here for 50 years of my 55 years, uh, an American, obviously, uh, a Muslim Arab American. And, uh, and yeah, I was the elected leader of the Muslim community in Kern County in Bakersfield, um, and we call that Amir, also an imam and a khatib, which is a lecturer, and uh, especially on comparative Middle Eastern religion, uh, language, history, law, etc. And I've uh, been doing that for over two decades. You're, uh, you're you know, a great, uh, uh, you're a very active representative of your faith. Very much so, very much so. And so would an imam... Would that equate to sort of like a, a priest in the in the Catholic tradition? What is what is an imam exactly? Yeah, as an imam, I, I was an acting imam for a few years. Uh, that is similar to what a, you know the, the duties of a rabbi or a pastor or a minister or even a priest to a certain extent. Um, uh, but then uh, I was mostly a khatib, which is a lecturer and a debater. And then as the emir, that was really my my solid title. I I, I was in that position for five years. Uh, I founded our, our, our nonprofit organization, the Islamic Shura Council of Bakersfield, and that oversees the activities of all the 5,000 Muslims in Kern County and also uh, oversees the activities of the mosques that we have here in Kern County. And so uh, I'm you know, no longer in a, a formal role in the organization or no longer the emir. I, I resigned five, year, five years ago or so. And, um, but I'm still you know, with the community and in an advisory role and things like that and uh, still active uh, in the greater Bakersfield community as well uh, through, you know, uh, my voice and the debate series that I'm doing with Pastor Chad Vegas and the podcast I do with Bob and, and the, the numerous encounters that I do uh, in the community with others. So you hang around Christians a lot. <laughs> I hang around Christians a lot. I'm actually pretty close to the Jewish community here in Kern County, Bakersfield. We, we, I've made very good friends in the Jewish community over the years. Um, and uh, definitely in the Christian communities from all denominations and all the entire Christian spectrum, if you can imagine. And so, uh, and, and, the, and you know, in the academic community here at Bay- Bakersfield College and CSUB, and also in law enforcement and uh, the, and whatnot, I, I have a pretty good and, and media. So, uh, been very active in Kern County for for many years, and 
and it's been a pleasure for me and at times a, a real challenge. Yeah. And so I met you through our mutual friend uh, a few years ago. Um, one of the things I like to do on this podcast is bring proximity to Christian evangelicals, to people they don't get much proximity to. And I, I one know. Second, one second. I got a post for, I got an update from Facebook that three years ago today, I, I did this podcast with Wayne and with, with, with Bob. I think that's the one you attended. That's the day we met. Yes. All right. And so I sent it to Wayne uh, and, and he, and he goes, good times. And I said, yeah, that was fun. I'm going to see him Sunday. So I think that was it. I think it was three years ago. I, I believe three years ago today that, uh, that we met and it was, a, it was a pleasant meeting. I enjoyed uh, getting to know you that day. Well, and I'm, I'm a, a little embarrassed to say I, I have had not spent a significant amount of time with a Muslim. I, I know I have some friends that, that practice the faith, but probably have not sat and really ever explored what it's all about. Because, you know, I think as evangelicals, sometimes we feel like if we get in the room with you, something's going to jump on us or, or, or something. And, and I say that jokingly a little bit, but I think there is a little bit of hesitation around Muslims with us in, in the American evangelical church, because when we hear Islam or Islamic people, we start to think of enemies of the United States. We think of 9-11 and buildings being flown into. And so how do you, how do you navigate that as you have relationships with Christians and, and Jews and all of these? How much do you run into sort of these presuppositions that some of us may have about, about people who practice your faith? Well, here, let me start by scaring you. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of God, the most gracious, the most merciful. Uh, one of the Semitic ways to say God's name. Um, and by the way, if I say anything just totally offensive, it's because I'm an idiot and just say, oh, back that's off, brother. You're not going to offend me. <laughs> it's a great concern. It's a great concern for me. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll start out by saying this. I think any Christian that thinks that somehow they're commanded not to sit with Muslims and discuss matters with Muslims. Somehow it's a grave sin to, to sit with Muslims. I have no idea how in any way, shape or form they can uh, do any type of missionary work anywhere around the world where they have to sit with non-believers and discuss the, you know, Christ with them or the love of Christ or share the, you know, the, the gospel with them or any of that, any type of salvation uh, equation. If you don't think you can actually sit in dialogue and hear back from a, a Muslim as well. I had a, a situation in a lecture a debate I did back in February with a, with a prominent um, uh, reformed Calvinist pastor who's a, who's a friend, a good friend of mine, and two of his members of his congregation, um, husband and wife, there are only two though, thank God, and we had 600 attendees and 2,500 watching live online, uh, the lecture. Of all those folks, two people said, you know, they, they, they denounced what happened, they left the congregation because they felt that he gave me an opportunity to spout my lies and my evil. Wow. He disagreed with them and was saddened. He was honestly saddened and hurt and because he, he loves them. And it was, a, it, but he said they're wrong. And, and this is not how we can pursue whether you, whether you don't want to convert people, whether you just want to share the faith or whether you do want to convert people and bring them to the way you have to be willing to sit and talk to people. I know from my vantage point, you know, we have ultra Orthodox Muslims that have, you know, extreme wrong opinions of Christians and Jews and others, and they're wrong. And then there's orthodoxy like me that knows that dialogue is the primary way of the prophets and the messengers, peace be upon them all. They have to first start by talking to you. There's no mental telepathy that we can do. There's, you know, it's sign language. You got to learn it, but everybody knows it. You know, you've got to be able to sit and talk and a lot of times break bread and, and, and have face-to-face -face dialogue. I've done this for years, whether it be, you know, collectively with big, you know, with organizations, law enforcement, you know, 
professors, students, or singly, you know, coffee shops with individuals, people, folks sitting around, sitting with me one-on-one. This is how you share your faith, your thoughts, your ideas, and dispel concerns, you know, worries, stuff like that. You don't do that by just um, thinking that the other side is bad, even when you can't sit with them and you can't engage with them. That's, there's nothing productive about that. Yeah, and, and I think in some well, ways... Is there anything biblical about it or Quranic about it? Or is there anything ministerial in terms of, you know, prophets and messengers and how they did things? This is just simply not how they did it. I mean, if Moses can go and talk to Pharaoh and Pharaoh thought he was God, I don't know how you can't talk to me. I think we would, I guess, I would, probably, yes, as a missionary, we feel like we can sit and talk with anybody because we're, we're trying to convert people to the faith. Maybe the bigger question is, is can we be friends? If, if, if I lay out uh, the gospel for you and you say, love it, thank you for sharing, but I'm, I'm true to my faith, can we be friends? Does, does your religion allow for us to be friends if I'm not willing to convert to your faith and vice versa? I think that's part of what all of us are trying to figure out. What does relationship look like outside of trying to convert one another? It's a great question. Um, Absolutely. Uh, what I've done with Bob over the years uh, is all about understanding that we have we can have some major differences, and yet we can be personal friends on so on multitude of levels. What I'm doing with Chad Vegas again, I told you, is a Reformed Calvinist, very fundamental Orthodox Christian. Um, uh, we have learned to be uh, absolutely try to convert. We try to convert each other, literally. I mean, we're sitting across the table, literally trying to convert each other. Bing, bing, bang, bing. And, uh, and we're showing the congregations, the Muslims in, in Kern County and the Christians in Kern County, um, that, guys, w- look at this. We're taking this, we're, we're literally taking this to the, to the, hey, theology, law, the prophecy, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we, we fundamentally disagree on some of the most principled matters that we hold. And here we are, friends. We break bread together every time we meet. We laugh. We, we break off as friends. We come together as friends. And yet we vehemently disagree on some of the most treasured matters in our hearts and find that we love each other's decency, honor, integrity, trust, uh, you know, uh, compassion, family values, neighborliness, et cetera, ethics, morality, virtue, whatever, uh, and also forgive each other's sins, okay? And I'm a sinner, and I know I am, and yet he forgives my sins because he knows I'm not trying to hurt him, and I sometimes suppress myself with my sins, and he does the same, and I forgive his and so you can be friends. You must be friends. You know, there was a time when I was trying to tell, I first met Bob, and I had another mutual Christian friend, Don Clark, uh, who was a, a well-known um, media personality in Kern County. Me and him had been friends for many years. And I used to tell Don, I said, Don, this matter is not about tolerance. Tolerance is what you do when you tolerate somebody who'd been an ex-convict, who was who maybe drunk in the street. Uh, you know, you kind of tolerate their behavior. You figure out a way to deal with it, et cetera. You have you tolerate things that are that they may not be all that great, but you find a way to be tolerant. You don't tolerate a good, honorable, practicing, decent, hardworking, honest, loving, neighborly Christian, Jew, or even Muslim. You respect that person. You honor that person. Uh, if, you know, the, the world is a better place when people like that are, are living in it, and they can be Christian, they can be Jew, they can be Muslim, they can be Buddhist, they can be Hindu, Sikh, etc. And, and believe me, I, I'm, can, I've known all those communities here in Kern County I've dealt with. And, and they, they are, they are, they have great family values. They love honesty and integrity. I, I know I'm rambling on a bit, but I'll say one more thing. I've, I've had audiences, Paul, I've told them, I've, I've pulled audiences, and I said, look, guys, what do you think? If anywhere you go in the world, any majority you go in the world, and you ask that majority, you say, look, do you people love 
the, the man or woman who is honest, decent, hardworking, faithful, kind, loving, ethical, moral, you know, decent, neighborly, et cetera? Or do you love the man who or woman who is wicked, you know, murderous, adulterous, lying, stealing, cheating, et cetera? There isn't a single majority of any type of ethnic, ethnic majority, the national majority or religious majority that will say to you, oh, we love the, the wicked guy. They all are women. They love and admire and adhere to and respect the, the person of character. Okay. And so we are all the same in that way. And so we must honor each other to the point where we can befriend one another, be honest to one another, work kindly and, and decently, ethically with one another, be, be decent to one another. And you can have, you can care, you can, you can like, you can love, you can trust uh, non-Muslims, non-Jews, non-Christians. And this is a big part of my message, even though I'm, I'm profoundly one that believes that I want to share my Islamic faith with people. I'm still one who absolutely respects and admires many of my Christian and Jewish friends and their lifestyles. And when I have a Hindu, a couple few Hindu friends, a doc, my doctors who are very close friends of mine, and my families, and I, I just know how they are ethically. I know how they are morally. I know how they, how they are in their modesty, in their family values, in their love of neighbors, in their work ethic. I admire every bit of that, even though I don't agree with their faith. Thanks for letting me interrupt the podcast here. I want to tell you about a couple of things we have going on. One of the things I want to do is I, I want to hire a social media assistant. I, I really want to spread the message of the nonpartisan evangelical, and we're going to be doing a lot more cool things with some of our spiritual gatherings and some different things of video series. So I need help. And of course, help is great and help costs money. And so I need your help to get help. And what I would like is to have a whole bunch of people helping a little bit. Now, if one person wants to help a lot, that'll be great. But if I get a bunch of people helping a little bit, that'll be great too. And the way you can help a little bit is join our Patreon community, the Nonpartisan Evangelical Patreon community. Patreon's a website that helps creative people get for-profit support at their website, patreon.com. And our website is slash NPE podcast, Nonpartisan Evangelical NPE podcast. Or you can just make it really easy and go to my website, npepodcast.com, click on that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner. For $5.99 a month, you start to make a difference for us financially. And you can go the $12.99 level, get the free autograph book or a whole lot more. All of you at $5.99 get access to the audiobook series. But mostly what you're doing would be helping me spread the word and grow the message of the nonpartisan evangelical. So I'm asking people to sign up at the $5.99 a month level. I would love to get 100 followers at the $5.99 level. That would be money that could help me hire help. That would put everything out on social media, push it, grow our brand and our message, and allow me to really spend more time on writing, planning, and putting together the content that we need to get this message out that God is not mad at the world and he wants evangelicals to maybe reconsider how they think. So would you help? Go to the website, npepodcast.com, hit that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner, and sign up, at least at the $5.99 level, or if you choose some of the other benefits, you can go at a little higher level. 
But no matter what, I will love you and be grateful that you're our friends at the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. The website again is npepodcast.com. Thanks for being a part of this great thing that we're doing as something new springs up in this season in the church. Now, let's get back to the podcast at npepodcast.com. Yeah, it is, and again, I, I apologize if these are offensive, but these are what some people I think believe and hear and feel, and so I just want us to to talk Any it all through. Apologize, and if if, any, if anything, Paul, any question, I, I always like the hard questions. I don't like the easy ones because the hard questions are the ones <laughs> I want to dispel. I want people to get and understand. I've been in many audiences where it's please don't don't think you're going to hurt anybody's feelings. Give me the questions that keep you up at night that make you worry about your kids and you worry about your neighbors or your friends or safety or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we have to deal with the issues that are out there making people scared, worried, or hateful. Uh, good. So yeah. I guess the question then is, is there something in your religion that says people who don't convert to your religion need to be killed and ultimately Absolutely can not. be killed? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So many things are taken out of context. Um, the reality with Islam is that uh, when, when the Prophet Muhammad was sent as the last messenger to mankind, according to what the Quran says and what the Muslims believe and what he said, um, his message was going to be the seal of the Prophet's messengers and the seal of the books that God sent and, and the finality of, of La ilaha illallah or the Shema, according to the Jews and the Christians, you know, Deuteronomy 6.4 and, and, of course, in the Gospels where, you know, Moses and Jesus say, you know, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You know, here or Israel, Shema is, it comes from the word Isma, which is uh, Sema or, or hear. Listen, listen, O Israel. And so the Muhammad came saying the same thing. You know, it's been inspired to me that the Lord your God is one God. And so the idea was he sent letters to all of the kings on the earth and the leaders and, and the emperors saying that I'm the messenger of God, I'm the last, etc. Come to common grounds with us, stop worshiping men amongst yourself and follow and obey me, the messenger of God. We, we believe that every messenger was sent to be obeyed. And so there was this mandate that you either had to make peace with the Muslim state uh, you know, you had to come to terms with the Muslim state. You had to allow, you know, for for uh, for there to be good relations, so that people can choose if they, to want to hear the message of the messenger, or you would fight them. And but in the event that that there was peace and there was dialogue and there was understanding, uh, never can a non-believer be compelled to faith at all through war, even in war, in peace, in discussions, in prison, in imprisonment. Uh, never can a non-believer be forced to convert to Islam. That is unaccepted by God and absolutely uh, uh, forbidden in the Quran and forbidden in the actions of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So if you cannot force convert somebody, okay, if that is not an action allowed to us, right, uh, near, nor is are we allowed to kill somebody for not converting to Islam. I mean, the, the idea there is their heart has to open to the faith, and they must, you know, there, there's another, let me add this. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, he said, uh, uh, It means, woe to you as to those who are my relatives, okay? Now, you're asked as a Christian, who is he, who's he referring to as his relatives? What he was referring to as his relatives were the Jews and the Christians who are related to him in faith, okay? So he said, woe to you, woe to you. Uh, Dimmi is the Jew and the Christian. That we know this is absolutely established in scholarly Islam. Nobody can deny that. He said, if you harm them or oppress them or are, are unjust to them in any way, okay, I will be your wit I will be the witness against you before God on the day of judgment. 
Now, when a prophet says, Weilahu, it's like Jesus saying, woe to him, when he was talking about Judas Iscariot. Right. This is a major, big Semitic word, loaded, loaded with like, whoa, wait, everybody stop, listen, he just said, Weilahu. Um, so when the prophet said, Weilahu, he means, you better listen to me. This is a big warning against oppression and justice and, and bad dealings with Christians and Jews, my relatives in faith, if you, if you harm them, I will be a witness against you on the day of judgment. I take that very seriously, mm-hmm. very seriously. Um, and so uh, we are never allowed to unjustly harm anyone. So is there just killing in Islam? Of course there is. There's just killing in Christianity, there's just killing in Judaism and Hinduism, Buddhism in America and Europe and all over. We can justly kill somebody. Uh, that that the justly killing somebody has obviously many rules and many proofs and whatnot. No one can unjustly take a life. Uh, the, the the Quran says that if you take a life unjustly, you know, by murder, uh, you, it's a, if you kill a, a person that way, it's as if you've killed all of mankind. And it likened that passage to the passage in the Torah in the, in the Bible, right? Right. So initially was was in the Bible, and now it's in the Quran, and, and we understand this. It's as if we killed everybody, and so. Paul had this, if I hunt for sport and I kill an animal unjustly, just for fun, for play, for I just want to mount it on my wall, I have committed a major sin in Islam. I will be accountable for that sin on the day of judgment. There is, there are, there, there is a story of a woman who will go to the, the hellfire for killing a cat and a man who goes to, and, and another who goes to uh, paradise for saving a dog. And so if you can go to the paradise for saving a dog's life and go to hellfire for killing a cat, I can't imagine uh, what it would be like to kill any human being unjustly in this world. And so verses are taken out of context. Other verses are ignored in the Quran. You know, true uh, trans, you know, uh, interpretation that comes through our scholars, et cetera, is, is always ignored by those that are trying to spread the hate. I've told law enforcement, I've taught Christian clergy, I've taught Jewish clergy about Islam's rules, and I've Tell, I've told them, I said, if you take the most orthodox of our mainstream scholars that are accepted worldwide and take their rulings, you're not going to like them all. You're not going to like what they might say about gay marriage or about abortion, or they might say about, you know, uh, you know, Jesus being God or, or, or Jew not believing in Jesus or Moses. You're not going to like those rulings, but you're definitely going to like rulings on murder, on suicide, on terrorism. They're going to absolutely just tell you those are all anti-Islamic and they're going to show you all the proofs. They're going to take you to the Quran and the Hadith and the history, and they're going to make it absolutely clear to you that this has always been Islamic jurisprudence and, and, and you know, from the classical days to the contemporary days. And there's just no confusion about that. And, and, on a, and we have all those verses in, in the Christian Bible as well, that if taken out of context can justify a whole bunch of evil things. I've said that, Paul. I've said, guys, if I, want to, if I really want to work antithetical to Christianity or Judaism, man, I could just take your Bible and just rip, it, rip Christianity to shreds and rip it, Judaism to shreds. I would not be doing myself a favor. Because I believe in how, what, why those verses were revealed, what the timing was, what the context was, etc. This is from God. This is for a reason specifically, and it would hurt me and my faith to attack your faith and to attack your scripture that way. And so, yes, I think attacking Islam this way, they, they just think somehow they're removing themselves from the blame of their own scriptures that have these, you know, harsh, you know, statements and whatnot. And I guess because Muslims came after Christians and Jews, they think somehow, well, that's the foreigner, and that's the thing that we can talk about. But they're bringing us up by name, Christianity and Judaism. Not realizing that what the word Muslim means, Musalim, it means one who has submitted to God in the Semitic language. If you say it in Hebrew, if you say it in Aramaic, it's Musalim, uh, and and very similar in Hebrew. And what it means is, if you, if I were to ask you, you know, hey, tell me about Abraham, 
you know, peace be upon him. You know, he was he feared God. He was a monotheist. You know, he God, God loved him. He was his friend. How did, did he submit himself to God? What would your answer be? Yes, he did. Yes. Well, now now speak that to Abraham or ex- explain. Give me that terminology saying that about Abraham in Hebrew, Aramaic, Hebrew or Aramaic. And you can't say anything but Mushanim or mm-hmm. Muslim. You have to call him a Muslim. And so it is just a word that has a meaning. And so when, when the Bible is talking about these things, it's not saying that word Muslim is some evil guy you can kill or you can distrust or you can, no, it's, it's, it's describing, you know, non-believers, pagans, and the, the way they were with God, how God judged them in certain ways and whatnot. And so Muslims, when they come back and talk about Jews and Christians, they're talking about what became known, the believers who were the Muslims became known as Jews in that time because Judah, the, the child, the son of Jacob, who became the prominent tribe, and all of Israel kind of associated with that tribe. Right. Later Christians, because they said, "Hey, these were the, these are the followers of Christ," and so others started calling them Christians. But in essence, they were those who submitted to God. They were Muslims, and so you know, th- there's a lot of confusion in terminology too. And I think because Islam specifically mentions Christians and Jews, and then there's harsh verses about them and there's the non-harsh verses about them and people just look at the harsh verses about them there's about over what six thousand verses i'm calling maybe a hundred that have to do a hundred plus that have to do with you know violence and difficulty and whatnot but all so many are just absolutely taken out of context it's it's it saddens me and and so we have these ongoing conflicts with the middle east and the united states which how much of that do you from your perspective is a religious struggle versus I mean, let's be honest, we, you know, we're fighting in Iraq because we put a dictator in place there. Then we didn't like him anymore and we wanted to take him out. And, and so how much of it is a conflict born out of a history of, of conflict and maybe in some ways of the United States sort of taking what we needed from that area for a considerable amount of time? It's another great question. I know it brings in politics, uh, you know, to, to a kind of a religious discussion. But the idea here is that over time, uh, before it used to be very political and, and, you know, we had agendas and we had things that we wanted from these areas and, and you know, ge- the geographical concerns that we had, the geopolitical concerns that we had, the, the material concerns that we had with oil and things like that. And, and you, know, what na- you know, our national security and, and the private multinational corporations that benefited greatly from a lot of the different policies that we had, whether it was Iraq or Iran or, or Saudi Arabia or the Middle East, or whatever. But I think, Paul, really, as those were certainly motivators for how we you know, our policies were, whether those that were just policies, those are unjust policies. Um, they definitely were motivators. I agree with you there. But I think what we're seeing happening as things are moving along, okay, uh, and the trends that we're seeing is that now uh, re- extreme religious opinions are really starting to get into, um, not only into the political sphere and into places of power, you know, where power is concentrated or, or it's, or, the, you know, power machinations are, are you know, formed, formulated but they're they're actually um i think getting in the, the those folks are getting in positions of power and a lot of their decisions are being motivated by their actual extreme religious opinions on one thing or the other okay whether it has to be with islam or muslims or it has to be with israel or israeli policy or jews or whether it has to do with temple mount or whether it has to do with things here or abroad or whatever i think we're seeing more of the religious component enter into the situation that becomes very concerning too because this is one interpretation it might be an extreme interpretation one way or the other it's liberal real liberal or real conservative or real far you know very extreme in one way or the other but to have that become the driving force behind any of our policies becomes extremely concerning i'm seeing more of that now and more of that from um 
So like, say, an Os- Osama bin Laden, he, he is taking the Quran from your perspective and, and twisting it to sort of meet a political agenda and using a religious covering for that? Or how do you see that? Well, I think if we would have, if, if we, as, you know, I, we used to scream, us Muslim leaders are like, scream, please listen to us. Please listen to our scholars. Please come and hear what we have to say about these people. You know, that's why the majority of the Islamic world didn't follow Al-Qaeda. They didn't follow ISIS. They didn't, you know, they, because the majority of the Muslim scholars around the world and all their leaders, both secular and religious, uh, you know, local imams, teachers, educators, callers to the faith, everyone renounced, denounced all of this insanity and pointed to our people why this is wrong. You know how you have to tell your own people first and foremost, don't follow those guys? <laughs> you know, we do that We do that all the time. And it's always a nightmare scenario when, when a wolf, you know, it's disguised in shepherd's clothing is trying to guide your sheep. And so you as a real shepherd have to come in and, and, dis- and discard that clothing and show them that it's a wolf. We do that all the time. And we come back and we tell, you know, good old fashioned American folks, guys, come and listen to what our scholars say about this or hear what we're saying about this. It's, there's always this notion, why are the Muslims speaking out? I mean, if we spoke out any louder, I don't know, we'd be breaking windows, but we, don't, we just don't have access to all these. You know, I have access to your audience right now, but do you think I'm going to have access to Fox audience or Russian yeah. audience? Or I don't have access, nor do all the mainstream Islamic scholars or the scholars that I know in North, North America that have been my dear and close friends. They don't have access. They simply don't have access. So you don't hear from us about these issues. You instead you hear from the news, from the pundits, from some politicians, and from the extremist mouth themselves. A lot of times they have they find they have microphones find those mouths easily. Okay, uh, they don't find my mouth or, or people or, or like people like me. We have been the frustrated, you know, silent majority or not silent the the frustrated silenced majority. Okay. Mm. And that's really what we've felt like for, for a generation. We've just been silenced in the, in the, in the West and especially in, in, America, in America in the circles that we really need to get to. And uh, we just can't get to them. We can't bust through. And that's the real sad reality. And, and again, I, I know you don't want me, I almost feel bad asking the question, but, but you consider yourself an American, right? I know, I know you weren't born here, but you've lived here most of your life in, in Kern County. And I would, I assume you consider yourself a, a Bakersfieldian, if that's the right term for Bakersfield, California, and, and an American. Yeah, I, I think it's if if American if an American had to be born here, I, I so many Americans that, that that made this country great and made it what it is today would never would not be considered Americans. They're just right. they're just they don't belong in America. I think that's insanity to, to to in any way, shape, or form adopt that thought process to an American somehow has to be born here. You have Americans that are born here that we all wish man were born on the moon and stayed on the moon. Okay. They're rapists and killers and gangbangers and all these are bad things. They, they might be horrible white collar criminals that push old ladies out of their home just to make a, make a buck. You know, these are born here Americans that we wish we could, you know, that they weren't a part of our society or would definitely need a reform, great reform. Then that, then you have immigrants that have just been the most amazing people, the most accomplished people, people that have just done just some of the most amazing thing in this country from the original, you know, from some of the founders and some of the you know, people that were here in the 18th century on or 16th century on or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, on and on and on from the 19th century, the 20th century, and now the 21st century. Um, it's all about the person. It's all about the. It's all about the, the net effect of the life of that person, the efforts that they go through, the things that they do, their morality, their virtue, their modesty, and and their love of country and love of you know love of God. In my opinion, and other and, and love of decency and kindness and goodness um, that make them uh, that make them good Americans. If you don't think 
that you should value your your American fellow American citizen based on those good characteristics and qualities, and not the fact that they were born one place or the other. Again, you've, there's a defect in you. And we have, uh, and, and embarrassing to me, some Christians uh, believe we shouldn't allow Muslims to be elected uh, to office. And we have uh, the, the the lady in Minnesota who just got, re- or I think, passed her uh, her preliminary uh, election there again this year. And I think it's crazy. I, I think it's great. But the, so there's no. There's a rationale behind it. I can get into if you want me to. If you're, if yeah, you're, sure. Absolutely. I, I mean, she, again, these are people who are as much American as the rest of us. They, she doesn't have some over. I'm sorry. I can't remember her name now off the top of my head. But I, I had it. I saw the article. I, I, okay. I, I've, anyway, I can't remember her name. Either. But she doesn't have an allegiance to any Middle Eastern country or any law above the United States any more than, than any uh, of the rest of us, right? God, I know her name. Ali, Ali, is that her name? Uh, God, yeah. I was just looking up. I know what you're talking about. Tell me what you're going to tell me. I'll look her up real quick. Yeah. Uh, listen, um, the, the reality here is if we go back to the, one of the main founding fathers, George Washington, the first president of the United States, you know, one of the most. Um, Elon Omar, by the way. Yeah. Oh, Elon Omar. I didn't know. Elon Omar said that or they said it about her. No, they said about her. About you know. her. I thought you were talking about another person who actually espoused those views. So oh, I know. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. But um, uh, so let me say this. So so George Washington sent a letter to uh, one of the, uh, the sultans in Morocco. He was uh, he was a, an individual who helped this fledgling of democracy come to, you know, come to some prominence and, you know, gave them a, a huge backing at a time when we were the fledgling, very weak country. And uh, George Washington uh, had wrote a very, very highly praising letter of him, very humbling letter and, and, and very highly pra- uh, praiseworthy of this Muslim uh, sultan who had given America his backing uh, at a time when America really needed it. It's the longest serving treaty that we have. It's the longest treaty I think we have on record in the history wow. of our country. Okay. And it's with a Muslim uh, sultan. And, and you have to read the words of George Washington, how he describes this man, how much praise he gives him and how much humility he did it he, in doing so, how much he showed. Uh, moreover, he then also sent letters to uh, uh, to Ottoman rulers explaining to them that the Musliman, you know, or the Muhammad's followers are welcome here in America, that this is a society that's going to be very tolerant. And then they followed that up also by going to the Jewish communities and letting them know that they're welcome to live here as well. Okay, that this is going to be an open freedom of religion, freedom of expression, uh, you know, um, First Amendment right country. And so that was, you know, this, there's no debating. This is ridiculously debated. If you go back in history and look at what the, how they talked about you know, what they said to these Muslim leaders and what they said to the Jewish uh, leaders in the East and, you know, the Orthodox Jews. Um, it's foolish to think that, that the, this wasn't supposed to be this way. Now, why are they being told to not trust Muslims is because of Sharia law, because of our Sharia. And so, you know, if you were to go into these Orthodox Jewish camps and, you know, Brooklyn or, you know, certain places, I, the, I can't remember the Bronx, I can't, you know, exactly know the exact Queens. I don't know where they live. But, um, but if you were to ask, you know, you watch how they live their lives and what they adhere to and, and, and a lot of their court, the way that they rule and how the courts allow them to rule because of their, their religion, they're trying to follow literal, you know, Jewish law the way they're supposed to and they're mandated to according to their religion. They still consider themselves Americans. They still don't try to break American laws, secular laws, et cetera. They try to fit that system within our system and, and know that our system of government is the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, et cetera. Um, and, and, and our secular law, but there, but that allows for them to do certain things, you know, in marriage law, divorce law, et cetera, et cetera, within their mosaic understandings and traditions. 
Islam has the same fundamentals that, you know, we have religious law that we have to follow, literal, ritual, religious law that we have to follow. Um, and, and, but if you, you have to go again to the experts and you have to go to what our rulings are, it's, we are not, we are not able or have or, or, or mandated to set up the theocracy. That's just not the case. And so we have to work in our Islam, whether I live in Kuwait, which is where I'm born, Kuwait is 99% Muslim. And it's a European parliamentary government system, okay? If I'm a Muslim in Kuwait, okay, there's more understanding and more encompassing of Islamic law and divorces and marriages and all these kind of things. But the government, all the whole system is not run according to theocracy, clearly, nor is it in Saudi Arabia, et cetera. And so, or any other of the 55 Muslim countries, okay? And so for Kuwait, 99% Muslim cannot establish itself as an Islamic theocracy and, and implement Sharia law, right? How so is the Muslim, how so are the Muslims in America as a 1% versus 99% going to somehow establish Sharia law here or somehow advocating? If I'm going to advocate for Sharia law, let me go to Kuwait and do it. I have a much better chance. A lot more people are going to agree with me there. If I'm going to do that here with 99% of the people going, huh, what? You're going to overturn our constitution? This is just it's it's not insanity. It's a devious, devious, wicked lie that's spun very well by by some folks that have you know that make money on it, gain power, political power on it, or, or keep souls in their in their church pews that continue to contribute and they scare scare Muslims away or scare them away from listening to Muslims. So they, you know we're the big bad wolf trying to do this. Never once have I cared to cared to literally cared to advance Sharia Allah on any level, local, state, or federal government. It's just not my priority. It's not an issue I lose sleep over. I don't think about it at all. Uh, I'm more interested in, in you know, the, the good things in our country, the justice in our country, the decency, the, the rule of law, uh, the freedom of speech. My God, I live here because of the freedom of speech. I don't have the same freedom of speech in Kuwait, one of the most free Middle Eastern countries on the planet, because Middle Eastern countries are mostly authoritarian. One of the most free religious, I mean, you know, countries on the planet, a Muslim, I'm sorry, Muslim Arab. Yeah. I don't have the same freedoms of speech that I do here in America. Okay. And so I value that. I'm, I'm an orator. I'm a lecturer. I'm a teacher. I'm a preacher. That's what I got to do. I can't compromise my messaging, you know? And so I don't have to compromise my messaging here. I have to compromise my messaging there. That's a problem. Mm. Okay. That's good. Uh, I, that, is I appreciate more, that is the more real concerning issue for me, not Islamic law. And I, I tell my folks all the time, we're the ones trying to put our religious law in place in the country I much more. We can both agree with that, right? You yeah. talked about that a little bit privately. Yeah. yeah. And, and to me, we make accommodations for this. Like, you know, if in public school, there's always a non-meat option on Fridays because Catholics don't eat meat on Fridays for a whole lot of reasons. And so to me, making accommodations for a religion that once that, that has certain headgear that they wear or, or paraphernalia, of, of course, why don't we make accommodations for that? Um, it's like we should allow, you know, Christians to pray in school and, you know, probably yeah. you want to go in areas and pray and, and allow for, there's a, there's, a, there's a freedom of religion that has been somewhat oppressed by the anti-religious movement. That right. needs to be relaxed and allowed. But there's also this notion that religious people feel they want their government to run according to what their religion says. Is the more you get into that camp and the more you demand policies that adhere to your biblical perspectives from your particular you know, vantage point, now you're advocating for some form of theocracy at some level, you know, and right. you, you got to watch yourself because you sound pretty hypocritical when you're pointing fingers at Muslims or others saying that that's what they're trying to do when 
that's really what you're doing. Yeah, there was uh, you have a far more able, you're in a more able position with the, both your numbers, your money, your political prowess, you know, all the, you know, the evangelicals and Christians around the country and their, their, their influence both monetarily, et cetera, et cetera. You have a far more better chance at getting policy than we do. There was a high school in Texas that had, uh, they would put up a banner for their football team to run through that would have a, a Bible verse from the Christian Bible. And a court ruled that illegal and people hit the roof. And, and you know, I just, I asked people, so what, what if somebody says, okay, next week we're going to put a verse from the, from the Quran up there and have the team run through that? I'm, I'm, it just, you got to think that way. Yeah. Like, that's why I said I think some oppre- there are some oppressions in religious freedoms. But when you do stuff like that, I mean, aren't you saying one thing? You're saying this is the only right way. And you're going to force non-Christians to run through that. And, and I just think, can you think twice about there's a better way to share Christianity. There's a better way to honor Christianity. Uh, certainly those students should be allowed to pray on, you know, somewhere on campus. Nobody should be offended by that. But there shouldn't be any forced group prayer. There shouldn't be principal man, a principal mandating a prayer, a teacher mandating a prayer, a school district mandating a prayer. Uh, coach mandating a prayer, you know, this should be something that the kids want to do on their own. They want to do in their groups, et cetera. And I think we we need to understand that we need to really read. I I think I spoke with someone the other day and I said, you know, what is the fundamental writ that, that, that dictates, I think, was it you and me were talking? I can't remember. Maybe you and me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The fundamental writ that we should turn to, if we want to understand Christianity, the fundamental writ that we should turn to understand Islam. How about if we want to understand America, right? It's the Constitution. In Islam, it's the Quran, and, and Christianity is the Bible. And in America, it's the Constitution. Well, go ahead and read the Constitution and tell me, you know, what it's really saying about religious freedom. What is it saying about, you know, expression, you know, uh, freedom of speech, assembly, etc. And then, and then what are some of the restrictions that it's pointed to? Is it, is it saying that you've got to read the Bible this way? You've got to be a Trinitarian Christian. You have to believe in this type, form of salvation. You have to be a Reformed Calvinist. You know, you've got to be a Baptist, you know, Southern Baptist. No, it doesn't. You know, it's just the opposite. You know, the framers look to me like they're trying to be so uh, accepting and, and so worried of tyrannical religious rule. They do not want a tyrannical, they don't want a one religious interpretation to run the day because they know they saw what happened in Europe and they saw the oppression that it led to and the amount of just sheer, you know, a, a, a atrocity and injustice. And they made sure to protect us from that. And I think by doing so, sometimes we go to the extreme in those protections. I agree with some of my Christian friends and, and, and neighbors and, and whatnot, but, but most of the times, we, we, we are not, it's not a worry. This is not a religious persecution. You are allowed to advocate for Christianity all day long through the airwaves, through media, with nonprofit, you know, money that you don't have to pay taxes on, tithings up the gazoo, so much money to work with, and so much influence and whatnot to speak your religion and share it and preach it and, and teach it and teach it and teach it. So there's no religious persecution. There are people being religiously persecuted, both Christians and Muslims around the world, China and other places. Certainly not here. Not by these policies. All we got to do is amend some of these issues or uh, just attack the one the things that are truly extreme that, or, or oppressive and everything else. We just we do it out in a fair, unbiased way where we share our opinions. You and me can talk. You can defend your ideology. I defend mine, your faith, my faith, or we advocate on behalf of one or the other. That's all fine. That's why we got freedom of speech. That's why we can talk. So we can spend our money in this thing. You know, we could advocate for certain policies. We can vote and all this kind of stuff. So don't feel oppressed when you're not. Thanks for letting me interrupt the podcast here. 
want to tell you about a couple of things we have going on. One of the things I want to do is I, I want to hire a social media assistant. I, I really want to spread the message of the nonpartisan evangelical. And we're going to be doing a lot more cool things with some of our spiritual gatherings and some different things of video series. So I need help. And of course, help is great and help costs money. And so I need your help to get help. And what I would like is to have a whole bunch of people helping a little bit. Now, if one person wants to help a lot, that'll be great. But if I get a bunch of people helping a little bit, that'll be great too. And the way you can help a little bit is join our Patreon community, the Nonpartisan Evangelical Patreon community. Patreon's a website that helps creative people get for-profit support at their website, patreon.com. And our website is slash NPE podcast, nonpartisan evangelical NPE podcast. Or you can just make it really easy and go to my website, npepodcast.com, click on that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner. For $5.99 a month, you start to make a difference for us financially. And you can go the $12.99 level, get the free autograph book or a whole lot more. All of you at $5.99 get access to the audiobook series. But mostly what you're doing would be helping me spread the word and grow the message of the nonpartisan evangelical. So I'm asking people to sign up at the $5.99 a month level. I would love to get 100 followers at the $5.99 level. That would be money that could help me hire help. That would put everything out on social media, push it, grow our brand and our message, and allow me to really spend more time on writing, planning, and putting together the content that we need to get this message out that God is not mad at the world And he wants evangelicals to maybe reconsider how they think. So would you help? Go to the website, npepodcast.com. Hit that Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner and sign up, at least at the $5.99 level. Or if you choose some of the other benefits, you can go at a little higher level. But no matter what, I will love you and be grateful that you're our friends at the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. The website, again, is npepodcast.com. Thanks for being a part of this great thing that we're doing as something new springs up in this season in the church. Now, let's get back to the podcast at npepodcast.com. Well, I don't have a ton of time left. We'll have to do this again because I would love to talk more just about the religions themselves, and, and that would be great. Um but but you had told me a story, and, and you can share this if you feel comfortable to, but a- after 9-11, you, you said things sort of changed around you as uh, as a Muslim uh, living in Kern County in Central California. Can you tell us a little bit of what that, that experience was like for you? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, being not just a Muslim, but being the most highly prolific Muslim figure in Kern County, I was the face of Islam in Kern County. I was the leader of the Muslims in Kern County. I was the most seen on in media the most seen in you know whether print media radio tv etc and and very active along around the community in speeches and lectures and debates and whatnot and so at some point yeah at some point i got we got a lot of hate uh, we got some you know threats um you know i, I saw that for for quite a while i'm not sure exactly what you're referring to but in, in regards to what we saw after 9 11 um you know there was a, there was a time at our mosque when uh, there was a, a, a church pastor in florida that wanted to burn the quran and uh, we decided to, to open that mosque on 9-11 and, and teach the Quran. And so we did pressers that, you know, went all over. And, and, and some of the comments on those, on my press, 
my press uh, release um, that I spoke on, they uh, the comments were horrific. I mean, they wanted they said we should uh, you know we should we should uh, lace you know we should put poison in their Kool Aid so you know et cetera. We should mm-hmm. rape their girls with uh, you know uh, pigskin condoms. Um, you know, just things that I, I just remember my wife, God rest her soul, when she read them, she teared up and couldn't believe it. And I tried to tell her, no, this is just a small group of people. I knew it wasn't. I knew this was a movement. I knew this was very dangerous. I, I you know, I'm, with, I'm on the hate crimes task force from the U.S. Attorney's Office for many years. I, I piped into all that's going on. I knew this was a very serious movement. It was a very antithetical to the Sinan movement. Uh, they, they, they say some of their most hurtful things. They throw out some of the most hurtful uh, threats. Uh, you know, I had a young under 18 high school graduate uh, on 9-11 uh, some years back. I just mentioned to the chief of police yesterday in a Zoom meeting that uh, he he'd said that, uh, hey, who wants to join me today? Let's go, you know, shoot some ragheads, you know? And and BPD reacted, our, our police department reacted at that time by saying, hey, you know, he didn't say anything illegal and he exercised his freedom of, his, his you know, wow. personal freedom of I was. I told Chief. I said, if, if this is if this is your messaging, because I know nobody's going to release something from the DPD like that unless it's proved all the way to the top. Then we got a real big concern here. If you can, if you can't just say how wrong this is, and he shouldn't be saying that, and nobody should be listening to this. I tried to just sit with him and his parents. They rejected sitting with me, and the DPD made that release. The head of the FBI called me, said, "Amon, I can't believe they did that. This was hideous. I'm going to talk to them." I said, "Hey, man, it is what it is." Those were some of the reasons that I eventually caused me to resign, simply because my wife had passed away. I'd been doing this for 20 years. I was tired. I remember that. I would tear up over it. I would cry over it because I was thinking of my wife and I would think of these people hating us and saying the things that they say uh, and have come to say. And I thought, you know, I just can't get through to these people anymore. And the Christians I grew up with, the people I've known all my life or people that not, not that they said that, but they kind of seem to be okay with it. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm just, I can't do this this way. I can't be duty bound as I was with the, as being the official leader of the community to always engage, always engage, always engage when I was seeing some of the most hateful things in, in formal meetings that had to do with government officials, informal meetings had to do with the community, you know, statements the community was making, threats and things like that that were coming towards our mosque or me personally. I remember an event in which uh, not two, two different events with national security experts that were brought in by extreme organizations that hate Muslims, Act for America and things like that. They specifically were talking about me by name or by my community, about oh, wow. my community. And telling lies, just bold-faced lies. Don Clark was one of my good friends who happened to sit in on a meeting, which they told a lie about me by name. FBI, everybody knew this was a lie. And and uh, he was very offended. He wrote them and said, you, you've you just, you know, that was character assassination. That was false ac- accusations of my friend. You owe him an apology, et cetera, et cetera. You know what they told me about when he asked me about being American? They, they got a message to my friend and said to him, well, then you tell him after lying about me and allowing this guy to lie about me, front raise funds telling lies about me in my community. Um, I mean, bad lies, Paul. Uh, mm. They said, you tell Ahmad, he, instead of us apologizing to him and, and giving him like an option to lecture us or something to that effect about his son, you tell him that he needs to come before us and tell us why he loves America. Wow. And yeah. I said to him, I said, you, ha- you, you called me to meet with you to tell me that. I said, no, you tell them I don't love America. There are things about America I don't love. I love what America can be, what America was originated, what originally made to be, et cetera. There are things about my country that I'm unhappy about. I want to fix it to make it a better country, okay? 
And so I don't, I didn't like my country when, when, when slavery was going on. I didn't like my country during Jim Crow. I didn't like my country during the segregation in the South and people were okay with some little schoolgirl being ushered by two, you know, by marshals, U.S. marshals. So she didn't get killed because she's black trying to go to all white school or, or somebody that's black trying to eat in a restaurant or sit on a bus. I didn't like my country then. I thought there was a problem with my country then. Okay. And so they need to, they need to, they need to be the ones that need to ask themselves, are they really American by the way they're looking at me and talking to me? I don't, I don't owe them any explanation as to why I'm an American. I'm an American through and through. I'm a Muslim first. I'm an Arab by ethnicity and I'm an American by my national affiliation and, and my national loyalty. And, and yes, as an American, sometimes I dissent when I see injustice, oppression, things that are bad, things that I don't like, things that I think my country are, is better than. We are a more just country. We're nothing if we're not just. I, I'll tell you this. In the, in the Quran and in Islam, it says that God will support a just, non-believing country over an unjust, believing country. Yeah. Belief does not give you God's support. Justice does, though. Injustice will remove God's support from you, even if you are a believing nation. And so I want my nation to be just and honorable and truthworthy and, and non-oppressive. Yeah. And I, Thank I, you for I'm, sharing that. I believe I'm an American because of that. And I... One of the things, the thing I was referring to, you had said to me that you went from being called a raghead or, or one of the other horrible terms we may use to being called a terrorist. And, and, and that changed around you. Yeah. And right. that's right. Yeah. Our, our well, Bible. Camel jockey, then it was raghead and well, it's all fine. But when it was like, you're a terrorist, you're just out to murder us. Things I'm like, whoa, whoa, guys, let's slow down here. I mean, we've been living together for 40 years. You know, what's wrong? You see me coming out to try to kill you. I, I put out the fire on your roof the other day. I did this and that. Are you, are you okay? You know, I grabbed, I, I came and knocked on your door because your little girl was playing outside. And nobody was watching her and I just couldn't stand it. I drove home. I told my wife, I can't stand this. She's on her bike. She's on a main road. Nobody's around. She's like five. I'm, it's just bugging me. And I went over and I knocked on their door like, guys, please, I can't. I, I know this sounds bad or something, but I just can't watch your daughter out here by herself in the street. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, thank you. Thank you. And I just walked away like, oh, my God, did I do something wrong? You know, no, I'm not trying to hurt you. If you believe that, go talk to all of my neighbors throughout all the years that I've lived. Through. Just talk to my neighbors. If you want to know me, talk to my neighbors, talk to my friends, talk to my community, talk to the people that know me, the, the most intimate relations with me both if they're christian jewish or muslim talk to them about me and i think then you might understand uh, how i live by my it's the best that i can i live by my principles and my principles are are in, to safeguard people's safety and, and and whatnot not to put them in any harm and i do think we as christians miss that in our bible that you know jesus sitting with samaritans was they were a despised people inside his people group because they worshiped differently than the Jews did. And so Jews felt very justified in that time to despise that group. And Jesus went out of his way to tell stories that made Samaritans the heroes, sit with them, be seen with, with Samaritans. Right. I think that's, that's our, that's our, what we're taught by our leader of, of Christ, the way to live. And I would say it would be very, very much equating to, sitting with, with you and, and any other Muslim person in the country and say, it doesn't really matter where you worship, how you worship. We're to defend you in that situation. Yeah, and I think the story of the Good Samaritan, I think the, the fact that Jesus compared him to these, to these Jewish leaders and experts of the law, I mean, these people that were judgmental, but knew the religion, 
right? And were positions of, of authority in religion and comparing them to this, you know, outcast type of, you know, this per, this group that was hated and showing him as the good Samaritan, right? Right. He's actually doing the right thing because of his heart. And, and those, because of their heart being in the wrong place, are considered the wrong, according to Jesus. I think that's a great example. And if you can let me finish with this, I think when we talk about terrorism, we talk about suicide bombings, or we talk about violence, or we talk about wanting to kill or whatnot, please let your, your audience needs to understand that Islam, there, there is explicit teaching on all these issues. The Quran forbids explicitly suicide. There was a case in which a, a great combatant fighting with the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was the great was the best in that battle. You know, accumulated the most wounds. They were they were they were they were going to take it. They were mortal wounds. As he bled out and died, the companions went to the, to the Prophet Muhammad and said, "Of a surety, that man is in paradise, right? Because if you die in battle, you're going to go straight to paradise and you're going to get all these wonderful things and wives and whatnot." And the Prophet said, "No, of a surety, he is in the hellfire." And every companion is like, "What?" We watched him in battle. He was the most brave, courageous. He took the most wounds. He took down the most enemy combatants. And he even died in battle. And he said he, he's, he's in the hellfire because he did not await death to come to him. He took his sword and he stabbed himself in the stomach. Oh, wow. And he took his own life. And by taking his own life, he guaranteed the hellfire. You cannot commit suicide in Islam. And so just that alone is now he didn't go hurt anybody else when he did it. When you take, when you hurt, when you go blow up a bomb, you hurt yourself and you hurt all these kids and women and children, and all this stuff, right? Now you, you've got the other verse about you destroying all of mankind if you take a life unjustly. Now you've also killed yourself, which is, takes you to the hellfire. And there, there's always detail about that. This man didn't hurt anybody else when he killed himself. He just killed himself. He did it with a sword. He was going to die anyway. He was even dying. He was going to bleed out. And if you can't take that pit of knowledge and say, well, Muslims can't kill themselves, they can't kill anybody unjustly. You know, they're, they're, they're counted, accountable for killing animals you know, for sport. I can't just go hunt like somebody else. If I hunt, I got to give part of, if I have food already, I got to give part of my kill to the poor. If I, if I hunt and keep all the kill, I, I have no other way to feed my family but to hunt. Otherwise, I have no right to kill animals. Okay. Mm. How about human beings? So if your Christian audience can just for a minute focus on that and then say to me, come back and say, show me proof, show me the verses. I want to know that this is real. Is he really saying this? I'll show them all that. Okay. And then we can at least say, well, at least we can set that one aside. You know what I mean? And not, not go there anymore. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And, and I love, like, again, we'll have the, another conversation because I want people to know at some point I, I told him, uh, you know, my Bible better than I do. And I was a pastor for 10 years. <laughs> I love the Bible. I read the Bible quite often. I've been doing it for 25 years. I, I, I love Christian material. I love Jewish material. I love the town, you know, read the Talmud and, and all that. See, I, I do have an intimacy with, with those scriptures just because they're an ex- we feel that we're just an extension. We know we're, we're, we're a long line of Abrahamic tradition and law and, and, and teaching. And so, of course, I don't see them as foreign books. I see them as encompassed. Uh, they're a part of what we believe. And same with the prophets and the messengers are a part of it. So I have to learn about them and study them and understand them. And people like me who speak to Jews and Christians, quite often we're allowed to go out and to really study those books and not just focus to only on Islam. And so our, gen- our knowledge is more general, whereas a lot of my scholarly friends, their knowledge is more specific. But they tend to also get a lot of advice from me because of that general knowledge about all the faiths, this Abrahamic faith. So uh, that's something that I'm honored in. I love reading the Bible. I'll say this to your audience. Anytime your audience wants me or you want me to teach you Islam from the Bible, I can teach you just about every fundamental real issue in Islam from the Bible itself. Interesting stuff. Well, I think it's important that that people know 
not only do we not have anything to fear from the Muslims in our midst, you are us. We are, we are one people. And we are we you. Make- you know, and, but I, I didn't want to cut you off, but we yeah. have sometimes, we, we need to fear sometimes some of the extreme Christians in our midst, some of the extreme right. others in our midst, some of the extreme Muslims in our midst. That's true. But not from your Muslim neighbor, friend, not from your Christian neighbor, not from general Islam, Christian, not from mainstream, not from the real values and traditions and core beliefs of the religion. No. And of the practitioners, no. Extremists, yes, there are extremists in every situation. We know that. We don't we ne- I never ignored that. The first conversation I ever had with the FBI was, yeah, we have we have some problems. We have some yeah. we have some stupid ideas. You know, and and uh, so I don't mean to in any way say that there isn't an element out there. I worked in national security issues to make sure to safeguard my community firsthand with the U.S. Attorney's Office out of Fresno, out of Sacramento, out of Bakersfield, with FBI in all these areas, et cetera, and local law enforcement. So we, we there are, were some problems, very minor, nothing major, nothing you know on a large scale, um, but very minor. But the majority, vast majority, the Muslims you live around or see or work with or deal with, they're just good people trying to do good things just like you. They care about their family, their careers, their education, their wives, their children. You know, they get in fights. They, you know, the kids do bad things. You know, we, we have all our issues, right? Just like all of you. Yeah. And we just want to live a happy, nice, peaceful life. And we have... That's why my have, wife and I were jealous of you and your wife out in Pismo Beach drinking that coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and we have our extremist uh, people that I'm scared of and people who want to blow up abortion clinics and crazy things like that. So as a as an evangelical Christian, though, Imad, in this, uh, in this forum, I, I would love to tell you that I am sorry, A, that I have been as ignorant as I've been most of my life about people like you and people of your belief system and that there are leaders in our movement who say horrible things about Islam, about Muslims. And so I just, I, I, you know, I don't know if I represent anybody other than me, but as an evangelical, I'm sorry that we have been very poor representatives of Christ in building relationship and having those relationships. And, uh, and it is embarrassing when our leaders do that. And more of us, I think need to call out, of Franklin Graham when he says horrible things about Muslims or Donald Trump when he says horrible things about Muslims or Islamic nations around the world. So if I can just share that with you person to person, that's that's a, a sense that I have to tell you today. Uh, can I respond by saying that's extremely gracious of you? Um, I think it's something that you don't need to do yourself, but I, but I, I accept that. I thank you so much for that. I will say this to you and your audience that uh, Billy Graham um, and my father uh, had lunch together uh, with, with, at a house of a mutual friend, and they and Billy Graham asked my father to hold his hand while they prayed over the food. Um, and so my father had that experience with Billy Graham, and then they went on and dialogued for a few hours while they were there together. I don't expect that I'll be having that kind of inter- interaction with Franklin Graham. My, you know, my my father's son and Billy Graham's son aren't going to have that same interaction. I think that is a travesty for Christendom, not for Islam. I think that my father. When he told me that story and when he repeatedly told me that story, we talked about it again just last time I was with him, we talked about many things, and that was one of the things we talked about. He's never had anything but a fond memory of Billy Graham because of that. He never had anything but a fond memory. He cannot find hate against Christians because of that, right? Because of that and some other experiences that he had um, with, with, you know, Christian evangelicals and whatnot, people he lived with here in Kern County and loved and all that. But Billy Graham in specific, I'm bringing that up simply because you mentioned Franklin Graham. And Franklin Graham is one of those very concerning, you know, preachers that have just gone so far to the extreme. And so I don't anticipate I'm going to have that same feeling. And that's a sad thing. 
you could say that's a sad thing for me because I'm not going to experience what my father experienced, but I think it's a sad thing for Christian or not Christianity, but for the Christians out there to say, why have we lost that grace? Why have we lost that grace? Why are we allowing ourselves to lose that grace? Oh, very cool. That's a great story. Uh, love that. All right. So we're out of time today. We'll have you back again and we'll do some more talk about religions and stuff because I really would I really would like our audience to to hear more of the story, just even what what living as a Muslim is like and all of those things. But thank you so much for sitting and It'd be nothing but honored, Paul. It'd be nothing but honored to come back. Yeah. Let me ask stupid questions and, and I think giving no, people no question is stupid. You know that as an educator. <laughs> you know, no ask the questions. Let us get out. And I think you've given people some good insight and some good proximity to you today. So thank you for being a, a great friend and a great sport and a, and a great Bakersfieldian. Thanks, Thanks, my friend. Appreciate it.